Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-word. Welcome back to the most hated F-word podcast, where it's our job to look at the intersection between our minds, our money, and what matters most. And today, I'm extremely pleased to have Rudhub join us with his beautiful background. His office, I'm looking at a farm in Oahu, Hawaii. And before we jump in, I do want to read Rudhub's background just so that everyone gets an idea of who Rudhub is, and then he will fill in all the gaps. Rudhub has been traveling the world, utilizing music to heal and lift spirits for almost two decades. The path of sound began for him at 18 months when doctors successfully performed an operation that gave Rudhub the ability to hear for the first time. Rudhub's singer-songwriter career began in 2005 when he toured throughout the U.S., Europe, and South America. In 2013, Rudhub began exploring singing and playing music alongside yogis such as Erica Jago, Elna Brower, Janet Stone, and others. Through a stream of consciousness lyrics and on-the-fly melodies and rhythms, Rudhub helps create, create a space unbound by time and attachment, which is so conductive to healing through yoga. Rudhub has developed sound and singing workshops with purpose to unleash the power of expression of sound for each and every individual. His mission statement is, if I can take the boot of stress off someone's neck for a moment with sound and song and open up dream time where we are unbound and able to soar, then I'm doing what is born to do. Rudhub, I am so pleased to have you on the show. How are you doing? Hey, aloha. Really happy to be here. Yes, I am on a farm. So that's not like a, a foley sounds in there. there there's actually by, be like roosters and birds and such. Kind of like an outdoor office here in Waimanalo on Oahu. It is great. We've been doing Zoom calls with my staff and every now and then they put up those phony backgrounds and this is certainly not phony. It's great to have you. And I have to say, I personally have been to one of Rudhub's workshops and a couple of his music classes at Wonderlust. Probably something you don't even know about that event, Root Hub, is I grew up with my two brothers, really musical. They're great at singing. My younger brother's phenomenal, can play any instrument. And I've always seen it as such a good outlet to just expression. And I've always wanted to sing. And I have never sang once in my life, like in front of people. I mean, the shower in the car, no one can hear me, so it's good. <laughs> but that, at your workshop, when we did the day song, was the first time I legitimately sang in front of people, including my wife. And... It felt so good. And uh, yeah, I just, yeah, it, it was great. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that is like the, the, the coolest thing to hear. Like I would, and also you really handled it. Like it, you know, no, like I would have never noticed that. I'm, I'm constantly amazed and blown away by people's like you, like sharing the stories of courage and bravery and, and just being able to help facilitate that. That's like the, that's like, you just made my day. Seriously, we kept talking about my wife and I were like, what? Like, because Wonderlust, we, you know, we thought more yoga, meditation, and we saw this music workshop. Like, yeah. And to this day, 
not only one of our favorite at Wonderlust, personally, because of like this limiting belief I've had about singing. It's, well, it's more like a truth, which I know is not very real, but I feel like it's not even a limiting belief I can't sing. It's just like, Sean, you can't sing. But anyways, you helped me that day to like give that away. And like, I've been to tons of workshops just throughout my career. And that was so, so fun. And it actually led me to having way too many drinks with my two brothers in Chicago and singing karaoke in front of a bar for the first time, Rock the DJ by Robbie Williams. So there, there we go. I'm glad, I'm glad that could be a part of, part of your healing process. <laughs> it comes from all sorts of different directions. I sometimes work with executive teams to help you know, implement kind of like what we did together, but in a different form to help with connectivity and, and you know, strategy, uh, amplification and connection with. And man, you should see some of these executives when they see me coming in with a guitar because I usually have HR doesn't tell them what we're going to be doing at all. And they're kind of like, wait, what's happening? And then when they actually hear that they're going to sing in with each other, because you guys wanted to be there, you know, you guys actually, I mean, kind of, you guys signed up for it. These people are like, excuse me. And it's really funny to, they, they always start with that arms crossed and that frown. But I mean, you know, almost every time by the time we're done, we're having that same experience, like what you're talking about of like, yeah, actually I can do this. And, and that identity that I couldn't do something is, you know, just an identity. It's like a thing that we subscribe to, which is like, you know, I was thinking about that when you asked me to be on here, it was like my identity with money, you know, and what that was and what it's evolved into. So that that's, that's incredible. You know, I, that's, that's what I, I live for to hear stories like that. But you just shared. You do a good job and you're so charismatic and yeah. So on this idea of identity, and I mean, identity can be so many different things, but let's, let's focus on, on money. But I actually want to focus on these individuals that you walked into their boardroom. So they're in their three-piece suits, beautiful press suits, and you come in. I, I hope you had your flip-flops and, and t-shirt and you come in there right away. What do you think just based on their environment that they've lived in, these high towers, what do you think their initial impression is of you? Oh, uh, well, is this a joke? You know, especially marketing and sales, because typically they're the biggest gener- revenue generators. So they look at me because there's a hierarchy, you know, immediately I walk in the room and I scan for the hierarchy, you know, and the people that are the most skeptical are the ones that I focus on right away. <laughs> right off the bat i'm like okay we're gonna see how tough you are we're gonna see how like how bold you really are when you're gonna actually have to be probably in one of the most vulnerable situations you know that you've been in professionally if not in your life in your adult life because it's terrifying i do this all the time but it's terrifying to sing in front of other people at first and so I know what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And when I walk in those rooms, I love playing with identity because they're looking at me like, oh man, this is yet another one of those kind of wellness people that are, you've been, I'm sure you've been there professionally where, you know, I, but there's something I have from other testimonials, there's something unique about my model of what I get people to do together. And yeah, they definitely, I don't, I, I typically don't come in like beach bummed out, you know, anymore. (laughs) I used, I used to. So I try to be as neutral as possible. Like my appearance, you know, I'm not wearing a suit, but you know, I'm not also not board shorts, but yeah, they definitely are, 
you know, because there's a, there's a, a belief about, you know, what an artist and a musician is. And unless you have, and a lot of that belief structure is unless you have quote unquote made it in the professional world of popular music, then you're not as uh, legitimate. I love altering that perception. Yeah. It's such a, a great thing that we can do. And I guess this goes to this identity with money now. And there's a, there's a study that a lot of people talk about in the personal finance industry about money can't buy a happiness after a certain level. So basically after your, your shelter, your food, your security is all met, there's zero or very limited correlation between exactly more money made and happiness. However, I heard that you defied those odds by completely not coming near the, their threshold of $75,000 at the minimum for a year. Perhaps in a year, you spent $700. Oh, Why don't you yes. tell us a bit about two things here? What happened that year? And how was it one of your most fulfilling years? Yes, that was uh, in my mid-20s. And I was, at the time, I was working in Seattle, you know, around, it was before the dot-com bust. So up in that place, it seemed at that time, you know, this is like pre-Amazon, a lot of pre-web, like what it is internet now. So there was this sense in Seattle, it's still a small place where you could be anything you wanted if you just kind of tried a little bit. <laughs> and I, I wasn't really into like trying to be a master of business or any of that. Or, you know, I just, I was just kind of still figuring out what I was doing. And I ended up on this quest that if I had time to go into that whole fairy tale of just mind blowing, like Odyssean, like journey that led me to a place in Hawaii that is a valley that's 12 miles from the nearest road. There's no electricity there. There was no signal for a telephone or anything. You could drink out of the stream. You could just drink out of this stream. It was the closest to Eden I've ever been in. So I went out there for a, three days. I hiked all the way. My, my shoes fell apart. Didn't have any idea what hiking or being outdoor living was. You know, I'm coming from a life of growing up in Los Angeles, which does have, you know, some nature around it. And I did get exposed, but nothing in that, you know, that three days, I ended up going back to that valley a year later and living in that valley on a very different frequency for about a year the first time. So in that year, I learned to build a, I call it architecture. <laughs> Luckily in Hawaii and specifically in this valley, you don't have any predators. You don't have any venomous uh, animals that can kill you. You don't have any violent faction of uh, military or uh, revolutionaries or any of that. You know, you're, it was kind of like being in the lap of mother nature. I could develop a relationship with nature in a way that I never, ever expected. And the more I connected with that and drank from that water, the more I began to have a strength inside me that gave me a sense of belonging in this world, in this universe. And the more I did that, the more I started, there's a group of like, you know, maybe 20 people that had been living out there anywhere from like five years to 20 years that became teachers that I didn't even know I was studying because they would, they were living in a very different world where, you know, we didn't have the TV, we didn't have the radio, we didn't have any of this external 
a stimulus to tell us what we were or who we were. We only had ourselves and each other and the environment around us. And so I would hike in, you know, these like 60, 70 pounds, leave like every three months, you know, hike all the way to the, where the, the trail turned into road. That trail was medicine every time I walked it. I would then hitchhike to the nearest town and get, you know, just staples, staples of, of food that I would then hike all the way back out. <laughs> and with every mile, that food in the, got more and more delicious, <laughs> if you know what I mean, because you had to hike it that long. And I would be out there and I would share. And the more I played music, the more other people, because this, this was a place that's kind of legendary that people would from all over the world would want to hike in and out of. And so they would hike in a lot of extra stuff. And I would play music on the beach. And then they didn't want to hike it out. So they'd just be like here, just giving. So this kind of like mutualism started to develop in me of like, I'm going to share my gift and they're going to share with me. And that really imprinted on me. So, you know, over the course of the year, when after I was done, I looked back on it and I had spent $700. It was like bending time out there because... Every single day I was carrying wood, I was cutting, I mean, carrying water, cutting wood, exploring what I was in a way that is almost, I don't think it's impossible, but it's, it's very challenging to do in in our society, how it, how it is today. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't completely living like off the land out there, but I was definitely living with the land in a way that I never have drinking from that water. Then I began to play music all the time. I learned that I had to be like louder than these hikers and hippies because they're all around the fire. And I learned how to project and sing really loud. And then, you know, you do that every single day for, you know, the first time was a year, you know. And so that experience drastically altered the trajectory of my life and gave me a belief in the healing power of music. Actually, it's coming, if, if I can just share this one last story about that year and I was actually reflecting on this recently of like the first time my neural pathway went click in a different direction because I had been told when I was younger you're gonna make it man you're good you're you're all these stories of like what making it was gonna mean and it never really resonated with like why I'm on this planet in this body it seemed like a good idea but I constantly sabotaged it because I was terrified of success. I wasn't really afraid of failure. I was more scared of success and all these people knowing me. So that's another reason why I was out there. And I had been down on the beach and I had caught more fish than I could eat. It's like one of those days of abundance. So I, I have the fish strung on my shoulder and I started walking where the campsites are, these people that come in and camp for a couple of days. And I just invited a couple of strangers hey you interested in seeing what a camp here looks like we played like a cat and mouse kind of game with the state you know we weren't officially supposed to be there so i had this secret camp and i and about five people made their way up there and i made a simple dinner of like some fried rice the fish that i had made a little dessert some watercress salad and i eventually there was the camp that I had had been gifted to me by a older vet who had left the valley. So there was like all this sleeping stuff for, and so there was enough room and, and everything for these people. They're like, we're too tired. Can we just lay here while you're seeing us to sleep? 
And I said, yeah, sure, you know. And I remember standing above them and singing them this lullaby that was, I was just making up in the moment, which is like one of the first times I really, I didn't even know what was happening. And I almost had this out-of-body experience where I felt like I was floating above them and they all were asleep by the end of the song. And when I woke up the next morning, everybody's gone. And I was just like, wow, did that even happen? Was that dream time? And there had been one young woman who had showed up and I could tell just by her body language and who she was that she had been through the ringer. I, I didn't know what it was, but she was a little distant, barely spoke, but you know, she was present and I was just cleaning up in the morning and I saw her and she started approaching. I heard her at first, you know, and then I saw her. She shared with me that she, she said, thank you. Thank you for last night. That changed my life. And I, oh, thanks for coming up. Thanks for saying yes. You know, it was a good dinner. She's like, no, it was, it was more than that. It was something happened to me when you were singing last night. And I've been, I came out here to try to kick heroin and I have been struggling for years. And this morning was the first time in years that I woke up with a sense of peace. And I wanted to thank you for whatever that was that happened. She kissed me on each cheek and walked away. And it just brought tears to my eyes. I was overwhelmed by like, what, what was this? What happened right there? And that was the first time my neural pathways were like, oh, music can be used for something other than getting a bunch of groceries or money or girls or any of this kind of stuff that I had really you know subscribed to before and that was a, a miracle moment that I kind of looked back on that really altered the trajectory of my life and really allowed me to see the value of how simply I was living but how what a fortune I was given oh man that thanks for sharing that story <laughs> so many things and I think that the the thing part that keeps going in my head here is that like Right now, we're all locked down in Canada. I don't know. Lockdown on the farm looks pretty loose over there. But uh, people can't, like, in the sort of rat race right now. And just some people I've been talking to, there's these awakenings where people are like, hey, I, I don't know if I want to be doing what I'm doing. I mean, your your story is so much on the immersion in that, in the in the valley. But I think that we look at this rat race, so to speak, and people are so stressed about it because they don't know what their music, so to speak, what, what you figured out you have to gift to give the world is we're prescribed to this rat race, this script of society that be like, go to, go to school, go to university, go to this top college, get a degree, get a promotion, suck up, whatever you have to do to get this promotion. But deep down, they just want to sing people to sleep playing guitar or whatever their version is. And I think it's so amazing to hear that the power of being able to find that out, like what you're doing to then, as we've talked kind of before this distance yourself to that money relationship, so to speak, I want to get your thoughts on this. If I don't know what my playing guitar, playing music is, I'm going to attach myself to money. And maybe from your experience, can you speak to what you've seen, whether it's LA or your travels in different workshops, I guess the risk of not finding that and then just naturally going to money. Yes. You know, that sense of purpose that I found through music, you know, especially not really being able to hear properly in the first couple of years of my life is everything. I kind of feel like, I mean, I wouldn't be completely lost without that, but I would definitely, you know, I don't know where that would go. I don't know where that, that water would mm -hmm. flow. And we want to belong to something 
you know, we want to, to have meaning a lot of us. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the Western world, we're, we're taught that a lot of that has to do with material. And then the last, you know, 40 so years, there's been a lot of, you know, transcendentalism and, you know, things like yoga coming to, to the West. And then that gets co-opted into a kind of a, a fragile system of late capitalism anyway. And you see, I mean, at least I would see myself in these places where I thought it was about wellness, but it's, it's just kind of like a new form of like who has the most, which is, you know, you can either like get really frustrated and I like I used to and get mad at it and, and try to, you know, fight against it. Or, you know, like somebody said to me, <laughs> they said, I was complaining about that kind of thing. And he's like, well, why don't you just start your own parade? I was like, what? He's like, why are you, I wanted him to agree with me about like, this is why, this is why this sucks. And he wasn't having it. He's like, stop complaining and start your own parade. Yeah. yeah. So it really made me think, you know, like, cause I've ended up, I have played for all sorts of class structures on, in my travels from just wandering India by myself and playing for the untouchables to being in Trump tower and playing for billionaires and having that, you know, seeing that social hierarchy of like a false sense of self-worth that if it's ever challenged at all, and especially we're seeing that right now, if something leans too hard on it, Mm -hmm. it's pretty fragile and people panic. People that seem to rely on that high wealth structure system seem to panic pretty quickly because they don't have the shared suffering of being in a lower material, like, uh, income level. I was just going to say, it's reminding, before we start recording, you talked about your cosmic bank account would be through the roof. <laughs> but like, if we lean too much on these, like these individuals, say the Trump tower, if the market corrects by 50%, all of a sudden then that, like that, that everything they've been working for is like stripped away or 50% of it is stripped away. They can't go to their office. And I don't know how much of their self-worth was driving to wall street, parking their nice car and going up the elevator saying hi to these people. That was like, I feel like it gets into ingrained into what success is on an identity, but in a moment that could be stripped away and we're left with nothing. Whereas I see someone like yourself or other people who are living like the things they like is you can take that away, but inside is what really inside what matters. I mean, Marcus Raleigh has that quote, I'm going to butcher it, but it, happiness depends on the level of our thoughts. And I feel like, I don't want to make assumption, but I hear this in your story, in your song. So maybe just speak to, to that. I, I continue on speaking on that. Sorry, I cut you off. It just was making me think about your cosmic bank account versus like almost fictional bank account or this illusion that we have to be successful in corporate America or Canada. Yeah, definitely. You know, like the, the notion that we're creating a safety net in a chaotic universe, I find a huge testimony to the human ego, you know, because there is no guarantee. Like there's, you know, we like to build that. We like to think that there is, and I'm no, I don't know what the financial equivalent of Luddite is, (laughs) but I like being able to use that tool. Yeah. I like being able to have that because for me, it was the opposite. It was the fear. It was the fear that came along with where's my next meal going to come from? Where is, you know, as an artist, as a musician, like where is the next gig coming going to come from? 
But what has happened, especially now with this pandemic, is that I feel like, oh, I've been training for this for like a couple decades. <laughs> Whereas if you have that sense of like, okay, here's my 401k, here's my salary, here's what I have in the bank, you know, there is a certain level of, you know, material security that you can get from that. But mm. also, like you say, you know, that's why people were, you know, unfortunately jumping out of windows in Wall Street, mm -hmm. you know, the last time, you know, in the United States when a massive depression and tank happened, mm -hmm. you know, luckily people aren't doing that as much now that we're seeing, but whenever the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, whether you're like me or you're like, you know, one of those people that lived in Trump Tower, it definitely is shocking. Now, for someone like me, since I've never really had a lot more than I can survive on, it doesn't, it's not, it's not, it's like, all right, you're going to take away the little I had. I know I can still sing for my food. I could still fish. I could still trade. I mean, it'd be very difficult, yeah. you know, but I think that sense of when we try to build that safety net, especially when we do it as individuals instead of community, something becomes very fragile about that net. Mm -hmm. because if you're doing that only as an individual and you're amassing your wealth, then if the whole structure of wealth falls apart, what are you going to do? Where now if you are mm -hmm. working in a community and kind of mutualism and shared stakeholding, then, you know, like I'll take it like right now for where I am. I, I am on a farm in Hawaii. There's 11 of us that live on this farm and we have agreed to, you know, have our own uh, quarantine and try to not leave and follow all the uh, pre precautions. And we have been doing so many things as a group to help nourish each other, to help keep each other's spirits up, to help support each other. Now, if I were by myself in a $2 million apartment in Tribeca, mm -hmm. and now I'm relying on <laughs> those people that I thought were at a much lower level who are like delivering my food. And, you know, now that's a whole different ball game overnight. So I think that's a huge difference is like the community versus individualism when it comes to amassing some sort of, you know, I think to back when we were all huddling in caves, you know, how, yeah. how good were you going to do if you had a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of bison and mammoth meat, but you were by yourself? Yeah. Imagine that just stockpiling and then walking around the different communities being like, Hey, check out how much bison I have to myself. It, it it doesn't make sense. And that's why we made money is just to store value to trade eventually. But now we're just stockpiling it. So something that I think is super, in, or I want to ask you is often people I have found who like have a desire to sing, like I explained to you, or travel or to do these like out of the society script of the rat race. They look at individuals like yourself living on a farm, playing music for a living, or people traveling around the world, maybe taking their kids and doing homeschooling around the world. They look at these people and say, well, this is, I feel like a story they tell themselves. There might be some truth to it, but well, what about the future? You kind of talked about that safety net. I need a safety net. I need that 401k to, to have that security. I'm curious for yourself and other musicians who, like you said, you don't know where the next money is going to come from next gig to gig, so to speak. You're feeling nourished, but how does someone deal with that? It's because we've been ingrained to feel security and saving for that money in the 4K. Yeah. How do you handle that? Because I feel like there's so many people who want to go there, but their default excuse they tell themselves is like, oh, 
What about the future? Right. You know, speaking to that, because like I said earlier, my journey with this has taken me, especially as I've gotten into more of like therapy and healing and coaching and, you know, doing more work with corporate entities and teams, team building. It's really interesting to see like different levels of we'll call oppression, you know? So we know what, we know what poverty, what racial inequality, what that oppression looks like for, for those, for, I mean, we, we, we at least are aware of what it is, I would hope. But there's another form of oppression that comes from privilege who actually on a show that I do, we had an amazing woman, Milagros Phillips speak last week on race and diversity in a post COVID-19. And what she was explaining was the oppression of privilege. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, what? And uh, man, a light really went on for me because she was talking about the oppression of privilege is that, you know, when, when, especially at, at a young age, so many toys, so many material things given. So it infantizes people. And then as they get older, they're subscribed to that need for material things to fulfill who they are and to make that and that security feeling. And so like, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm making all this money for the future and I have more stuff. So it, it, it does this weird dual oppression. It, one, makes you reliant on material sources and wealth for your happiness, which we know doesn't, beyond a certain level, doesn't really bring happiness. And then it also gives you a false feeling of moral superiority over those that might have less than you. So that drive is ingrained usually when it's a, a lifelong wealth thing in a very young age. And especially in the United States, like you aren't good enough. The way marketing is, the way society is, the way social media, you aren't good enough unless you have this, unless you look like this, mm. unless these people are your friends, unless you've gone to these places, unless you live in like this life. So, you know, the more like as that's ingrained in you when you're, you know, throughout your life your brain is telling you like, that's what life is all about. So then whenever you feel your real heart calling to do something else, there is already a line of code in your head saying, stay away from that. That's for dreamers. That's not realistic. That won't provide for you. That's not how the world works. For somebody like me, that is how the world world works. I would be a fool if I were to tell you that I enjoyed times when I was completely stressed out. It's because I used, to, it was more had to do with my identity, my financial identity. I always, I bought into that whole idea of struggling musician that you had to suffer for your art. That's a lie. That's a whole BS story. So back then I used to stress so much because I had that relationship with money that my code line was saying a different thing was saying like, you don't deserve money. You, you, you're not good with money. If, you know, so there's like these, there's multiple different like code lines that we have in our brain. But the great news is like, the, you know, our neuroplasticity can allow us to change those things. And that's what I hope to do when I'm in these workshops, like you were or when, in these groups is like just opening up a window. Like I, I usually end our things. Like I think I said, it was a nice bending time with you. Yeah. When we do that, I want to just like give somebody a window like, hey, this is possible. Even if, you know, for a moment, just. Because that's, that's a very difficult thing 
you know, you know how, how many, you know, I'm gonna, I'll relate it again to that year that I spent in that, in that first year that I spent in that valley. As I told people on my route, in my delivery route for the cacophony company that I was working for, they're like, I hear you're quitting. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going back to that valley and, the, and I'm going to live in the jungle for a year. <laughs> the most, if I had like a word cloud of that, the biggest one would be like, I wish I could. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's just a difficult thing to take that calculated leap of faith. This code line, I've never heard it framed in that way. And I love it. It's just like, we're hardwired to think that way. But you say it's hard to take that jump. It is. But at what cost is it costing us not to take that jump? Like what's on the other side? I mean, if you never left to the jungle, what would you be doing? And maybe you would have had a nice 401k, but, <laughs> but would it be worth it? What you're talking a lot about this bending, almost bending, like the way I'm taking it right now is bending almost our reality to peak your head. And that's what I experienced in your workshop. And why I want to start this most hated F word podcast is because I want people to bend the viewers or listeners, sorry, reality on their code line. Is there another way of doing it? And your way might not be the right way for everybody, but it's your way. It's a different way. But I guess it is the right way in the sense of following, you know, what's, what's inside of you. Something that I've been toying around with a lot in just personal finance now is internal versus external. And you kind of touched on this about or earlier is we've been obsessed about the external, like portfolios, money, 401k, building this money up. Once you get this, you're happy, but you're not. It's the internal game for me that is just so fascinating is understanding that money relationship. So I'm curious when you talked about your money, financial identity, when you were growing up in LA as a kid, was it? Yeah. Yeah. What was the money conversations at home? Like I'm talking when you're three, four and and in growing up as a little teenager, what were the money conversations? Was money like a source of stress? Was it avoided? Was it um, something that linked to status? And how is that? How did that impact you growing up to like an uh, older teenager? Yeah. You know, when I think back on that, my father's a teacher, you know, and he's, te- he's taught um, differently abled or whatever the phrase for that is. <laughs> These days, people that need help, you know, getting through life, that's what he's devoted his life work to. There's not a lot of money in that. Mm-hmm. And then my mother has always worked in healthcare as a, you know, like office management. So I had other family members, uh, external, like, you know, aunts and uncles that were very wealthy. So there was always, to me, a, like an inequality to that, uh, whether it was just going over to their houses and seeing that they had so much more, you know, it wasn't, you know, we weren't, it's, it's interesting because there's also a time difference. Like we lived in a place where I was pretty well provided for. I didn't have an excess, but I did, I wasn't like really struggling. There was times when we didn't have enough, but it was also a different time. Like the time when my mother could afford to rent a beach house in Manhattan Beach for a week or two, like every summer, and it was cheap. You know, now it's the mm-hmm. highest real estate I think in Los Angeles, and it's totally unrealistic. So, I think that there was stressful times when I was younger that I caught up with stressful financially. And there was also that kind of compar- comparison, or like I would go to school. And like some kids would have really cool sneakers and I didn't have those sneakers. You know, that was a huge thing. Mm-hmm. I remember being a kid, you know, or like people laughing at your shoes, you know, uh, that's like, that was like a thing. I can't even imagine what that must be like today for you, you know, like with social media and everything. Where, oh yeah. So yeah, there was definitely that, but I was also instilled in like, you know, 
if you want this, you're going to have to earn like half. You're going to, you're not going to just be given this. So I'm grateful for that stuff. Like I really wanted a guitar, you know, and they're like, okay, well, you're going to have to earn at least half of that money for that guitar. If you're going to, if you want this, you're going to, you know, I did all sorts of chores. I did stuff for neighbors and different things. So I'm very grateful for that aspect of taking ownership about, you know, because it's like, you know, I saw a lot of other kids that I grew up with. I had like two sets of different friends. Usually it was like I had a much wealthier set of friends and a poorer set of friends didn't seem like a lot of people like right at my same mm. level. And I would see a lot mm. of the wealthier kids, like they get a brand new car for their birthday or stuff, mm-hmm. you know, within mm. a year they trashed it because they didn't have to sacrifice anything for it. So that part of that, I really appreciate. And it probably prepared me a, a lot for later in life. I, it took me a long time to get over the, the belief that those people were happier or had it better just because they had more. I've, I understand now that that was just a construct. I want to actually talk about that because earlier when you said, I, I can't remember if you said the privilege, oppression or oppression of privilege, what, what order it was. Yeah, the oppression of privilege, I guess. Yeah. So when you were talking about that and speaking about kids, I have two young kids and I could totally see, actually my body was like tensing up when you were saying that, is that, is that like, yeah, these new toys that are like, I want a new toy. And like, you aren't, fully aware of what you're doing by just giving them that toy, giving them that toy. Then it turns into that car that you just spoke about and they wreck the car. And then you feel like, Oh, my kid deserves, I get another car. But I think unintentionally it creates this resulting privilege that you just, it doesn't serve the individual well. Whereas if you're having to buy half of this guitar buy half of whatever, you have shoes that people laugh at. Um, I know that that's hard, but I think those are, those are good things that we learned when we don't give our kids the most beautiful shoes or buy the guitar for them, we're not showing that money just can solve everything. Like there's going to be some hard times. You're going to in life have your, someone laugh at your shoes. So for people who might be struggling and you might just still be on a journey, I think, I, I mean, I don't think I'll ever get to that destination. I always want to be on a journey. But for people who are struggling with this identity about I need that thing to make me happy or, uh, well, how can you do it with ugly shoes, so to speak? What would you say to them? It's a really interesting thing because a lot of the times we want that to fill something that we're lacking. And it depends on where they are on their growth as a human being. That is kind of like a sliding scale. Like if you're a youth, you just kind of have to try to explain it in a, in a way that doesn't, you know, have the context of being in a body for and knowing who you are for decades. Now, when it's people that come up to me and they're adults, and there's a difference between being fearing for your basic needs and fearing that you're not going to have enough to keep up. You know, oh man, <laughs> I'll relate it like this. Recently, I a lot of my work was taking me to San Francisco in the Bay Area for some projects uh, that were, I mean, looking back, at a, back on it now, I was supposed to be in San Francisco right now for this project that was supposed to do this really big thing for the city and for me as an artist and it fell apart and I'm actually glad it did because I would be stuck in San Fran right now which I don't want to be stuck in San Fran I love like I'm on a big I'm on a big farm the beach is right over there and we got a lot of food growing here yeah and you know like but my work was taking me to San Fran a lot Uh and I barely had any money you know 
and I would have to go to these, go to the, the, like this city where it's like really expensive. And I would kind of have to do this kind of like magic, like a magic act of like being there, but not, but like dipping out whenever it came to like, oh, we're going to go to this restaurant. I'm like, nah, I can't, I can't drop $500. And what I would say to those people is like, what are you, what are you actually looking for? Like, what are you looking for that this getting this thing is going to give you? And is there any other equation that fulfills that without you getting that thing that you can't really afford? Like, Mm -hmm. is there some source that you can tap into that would allow you to have that feeling of fulfillment? You know, so for me, you know, I have long, I, I searched for that guitar that I had in, in our workshop together. I searched for that guitar for like seven years, you know, and there were times I found ones that were more expensive and I just said, no, I said no to myself. I was like, I could, it's really out of my means. That's like a, at least $1,500, $2,000 more than I want to pay for this guitar. And I just kept yeah. saying no, you know, and I, cause I had cut corners when I was younger. I just kind of, I also was taught like, oh, you can cut corners. It's not a really good way to do it. But that guitar specifically? That guitar specifically. Or, or the one you bought, what was so special about it? Um, it was a pre-war Martin, a pre-World War II Martin. So anything before like 41, it's like the golden era of guitars. Um, it's the same kind of guitar that like, that uh, Robert Johnson has played, uh, Woody Guthrie, Bob Dylan, you know, all these people that I uh, really adored. And so I saw it on a Craigslist ad and I went to the guys, I went to meet the guy at, outside of a pharmacy in Kalihi. And I have the whole conversation recorded because I strummed the guitar and I was like, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a magic tone. And we talked for a while. It was his uncle's guitar for his whole life on Kauai. And then, you know, at the end, I played him three of my songs that I wrote. And he looked at me, he's like, those are your songs. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you're going to keep this guitar, huh? I was like, I will never sell this guitar. This is for me for the rest of while I'm alive. And he, he like knocked the price down by like a third. Oh, nice. Like it was, it was already way cheaper than, yeah. and then he knocked it down by a third. So the moral of that story is I've written like so many incredible I didn't like, we're so impulsive these days, right? Especially with like Amazon and instant like streaming service. We're so programmed to be like, I want it now. I'm going to get it now at all costs. And you don't think about the effect that's going to have for like seven generations, like a lot of indigenous people. That's what I, that's a long like reply to that. No, like great. how would you, how would you fulfill it if you couldn't fulfill it with that thing? When it, when it comes to like material things, because fulfillment is different than happiness, right? happiness comes and goes. It's not like, but if you're fulfilled and you're like, at the end of the day, I would rather be fulfilled, have a sense of fulfillment than happiness because fulfillment encompasses happiness. It encompasses the hard times that give you strength as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm a fulfilled, I'm fulfilled because I've been working on this farm and putting my hands in the soil and, you know, doing all that stuff. I'm fulfilled because I have been able to maintain my ethos, you know, um, uh, in the world. Um, 
I'm fulfilled because I don't, I'm, I don't really go hungry. Mm-hmm. There, there may be times when I don't necessarily get all that I want, but like, if you've ever traveled, yeah. you know, that the, uh, like, there's like in the, in the, in the Western world, the other like nine tenths of the world is not really living like how we live, you know? And I've been all over those places and I've seen a lot of fulfillment in a, in a lot of places where, they don't have as many materials. It's so interesting to me that in the finance perspective, our yardstick is the size of someone's bank account and not, are you fulfilled? That's why I want to hear your definition of fulfillment. I often ask people is, and you just answered it, but like, are you fulfilled right now? And meaning, because sometimes people are like, well, once I get a million bucks or once I get $10,000, once I get that guitar, whatever it is. But I think the key is feeling fulfilled. And then the rest, I think, can take care of itself. Yeah, definitely. That identity, you know, I <laughs> can't remember. It was like one of those private steak, private steakhouse cigar place clubs in New York. Before I moved to New York, my friend was trying, kind of trying to entice me. I felt like I was getting drafted. <laughs> like, you know, there's several people that really wanted me to be there. Yeah. And really identifying, you know, like that measure of like, what is your identity, you know? What is your identity with, like, do you, yeah, how big is that bank account? How much, how much can you flex, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> like, so there I would be, and I kept getting invited to these places, you know, in New York where it's millionaires and billionaires. And there was times when people would come up, like, with tears in their eyes because I was singing about the moment in a way that instantly was familiar to them in a way that that maybe hadn't been activated in a long time, yeah. like this heart stuff. And I know there's tons of people that would just be like, just shake their head and just be like, oh, brother, <laughs> you know, what is this guy talking about? He's only saying this because he doesn't have what I have. You know, I, I understand that mentality. Mm-hmm. I understand that identity because there have been times when I have had like a lot mm-hmm. for me. Like I was like, wow, I can't believe I have. But I, it's interesting. I still have the keys. It feels like I have the keys to the, to the palace and the cave. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like without having the burden of like maintaining it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I think that goes to that Marcus Aurelius quote, quote earlier about the happiness is inside. And like, yeah, if you want to walk out to the cave, you can. If you want to walk out to the palace, it's what's going on in the mind. Yeah. And, you know, like it's like reminds me of an old Bukowski, you know, you know, line, Charles Bukowski is like, uh, he's talking to this rich woman that he's having an affair with. And he's like, it's a cage with golden bars, <laughs> you know, talking about her life. Yeah, you know, it wasn't really until I was invited to Esalen, which is a, a retreat center that's been doing it for like 60 years on the West Coast. Um, I call it like Hogwarts by the sea. <laughs> it's, a, it's an incredible place. And I've done some work with them and with their team, like doing some, some development with their team leadership development. And so I also work with the infrastructure of Burning Man and uh, doing like the logistics. And I was invited to this meeting of the minds there of a lot of people that are on the forefront of uh, finance, wealth, uh, medicine, (laughs) finance and wealth, (laughs) but uh, uh, medicine, social activism, uh, politics, real estate, growth, development, science, and I met these people that really um, gave me a huge amount of faith because they're talking about how do we build a future where it's, it's like mutual stakeholding, 
mm. and where we ch- like the triple bottom line, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we're familiar with the old bottom line is yeah. profit, right? But the triple bottom line of like oh, profit, environment, community, mm-hmm. and have really like realigned how I feel about moving in these worlds because their focus is more on, you know, treating like here, we're treating this farm like a stakeholder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it's not only the, the, the investor, there's a lot of different ROIs now that are being, that these people are talking about. They're not necessarily talking about an ROI. That's like, here's your cash. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, here's a new grove of soursop trees that you help. So, now your return on investment is one, knowing that they're there producing fruit and locking carbon in, but you also get your fruit. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, that's a very small scale, but mm-hmm. it's really interesting that kind of mutualism and that like expanded definition of stakeholding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, especially now, like now that we, we see how important community is. Totally, yeah. As institutions kind of are failing a lot of us Mm -hmm. right now. You mentioned it's small scale, but I think that's great. Small scale means that we can do it even in our own families. We could do that, that ROI, so to speak on our income. Like what, what, you know, is it just going in that 401k or RSP in Canada or are we giving it back to the community? Are we sharing it in this capacity? I mean, strengthening and capacity building our communities is what takes care of us in times like these. I want to be mindful of your time. Now I, I have a question for you about, a lot of what we've been talking about, we call this personal finances because it's personal. What is Root Hub's definition of wealth? <laughs> wealth. You know, I, I feel like I have a treasure no vault can hold. I like that. It can be difficult for some people to quantify because they haven't been in my experience. Mm-hmm. But wealth for me, I'll associate like with what you were talking about as we began. Like hearing that from you about our experience in the workshop Mm -hmm. and how that altered your life and made your life a better place. So now that fractures out, you know, like mycelia, like the, you know, mushrooms are really having a fungi are really having a moment right now. (laughs) Like, but like that branching out of like, okay, so if that changed your life and there was also a woman in our, in our workshop that we were in, yeah. I don't know if you remember her, she was not really the demographic of typical Wonderlust. She was like in her, like a little, like mid fifties, probably not in the best shape. And she was singing about like how people were making fun of her tent and stuff. Remember her? Yeah, remember her? Yeah. Hearing like what you told me, that feels like a well, I'm wealthy because it's doing something that's making everything better. But that woman specifically, she caught up to me the next night and I was walking towards one of the, like some of the after party or something for the festival. And she pulled up in the dark with a, a person. She's like, Oh my gosh, here he is. That, that, that thing, that, that workshop changed my life. And I honestly was not in my, I wasn't really present with her. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, cool. Thanks. And I kind of just played this loop of like, uh, and she like kind of shook me and she's like, Hey, listen to me this is the first morning in months that I haven't woken up and instantly thought about ending my life. Mm. I mean, that lightning bolt hit me. She's like, thank you. I have a friend now because of this. And she walked away and I didn't go to the party. I just like wandered out to the golf course, you know, and sat under the stars and really reflected on what I'm here for. And that is for me as wealth to be able to make up a song on the fly because I've been doing this for my 10,000 hours or whatever, 10,000 times mm-hmm. or for decades. And to just be in a sense where I'm like 
that person needs a song right now. And I'll just mm-hmm. record it on my phone and I'll send it off to them. And they're like, I can't believe, like, that's amazing. That's wealth being my basic needs being secured that I don't stress of that is wealth. My perspective of where I am on this planet and realizing my impact on everything around me and its impact on me is wealth to be in between the future and the past for most of my life. So like there's the future, there's the past, but being here, oh, just living a life that sustains that and to have the freedom to wake up in the morning and sing a song about how I want my day to go and not have to be a slave to a whistle, clock or bell, you know, um, <laughs> and not to have to be like looking at the markets and being like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I have a different, Oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> but those kind of things really being, being present, being aware of like my time. Yeah. <laughs> You are so clear and you can articulate so well what wealth is. I think that is a huge thing that a lot of people can take away from this is, again, I said earlier, it's personal finance. How on earth, we're all different. How on earth can money or accumulating money be a universal definition of wealth to everyone? it, It can't. It's understanding like you've just done is how do I articulate what wealth is to me? And I mean, maybe that's why you radiate, radiate, such good energies because you know exactly what makes you happy or fulfilled. Yeah. You know, like you can't trade like for me, like one of the times when I am most like that is when I'm surfing in a wave. I love body surfing now, the more I do it, cause there's no board. It's just as close to nature as I can possibly be. This wave started thousands of miles away. It's one of a kind. It's never going to be again, like it is. And if I can get in tune with that, and ride it and not tell the wave where to break, but have the time of my life while I'm riding the wave. Oh, yeah. That to me is like one of the wealthiest experiences that just keeps giving to me. And it's healthy for me. It's like this healthy relationship with them. Yeah. Oh, man. So many good things. Okay. So two things I want to get to. I have a, a two-question finale that I ask everyone. But also, something Rudhub is known for is his instant anthem songs. And he has graciously brought in his beautiful guitar that um, I think you're going to be able to do an anthem song for us. You make it up as to what you feel is appropriate based on this conversation. But that last bit was, was nice, but whatever you feel. Okay, here we go. So To be no caveman on my own. Wanna find community where I can call home. Oh, stack it up for all of us. Did you ever see the rat race get knocked cold? Almost down for the count Doesn't matter how big your bank account Oh, what is wealth? Money or gold? Or is it a treasure no vault can hold? (laughs) A calculated leap of faith 
can be hard to do. Rewrite your code that's inside of you. Go peek out without doubt. Oh, scary, but in fear, only temporary. Always wear money or gold. Or is it a treasure no fault can hold? Oh, I'm not saying there'll be no hard times in between. Fulfillment that you crave, it'll come back your way. Oh, in between the future and the past is the present moment. You don't need hold on and grasp it. So as we ride all these waves, redefine financial stability and the way money's made. Oh, what can you do to amplify your life's wishes? can come true oh is world made of money and gold is it currency tell me is world made of money and gold or is it a treasure no fault can hold you are the treasure that no fault can hold. Oh, man. I don't know how you do that. Wow. Oh, man. Like, the two, I told you earlier, like, I, I like music. I grew up with music and I like money and questioning. You just like hybrid. Both wow, of them. man. Like, every time it's the wave. You're like, that song didn't exist until before we talked, man. And like, thank you for that. It just re reinforces like that. This has been the right decision all my life. Yeah. You are so talented. You are so good at capturing like the essence of the moment. I love your Instagram where I see these mini anthems in the airport. I remember this one get little girl in the airport. And you, I forget what you're <laughs> singing about, but the smile on her face yes. on a boat looking at dolphins. It's you're incredible. I, people need to follow you on Instagram. Your last one, I think it was right when the COVID came out you had a bunny suit on (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was the first day of spring and thank you thank you for saying that that's like it really means a lot I'm glad we're here I had kind of like taken a break from social media to really kind of refine what my relationship was with it I didn't even intend to it wasn't something that I tried to do but that was like the first time I was like okay I need to at least show my face (laughs) kind of come out from this come out from this place I've been hiding or you know resting but I'm definitely about to share a lot more it's root hub r-o-o-t-h-u-b out there yeah I I have a vision to expand the instant anthems so where I can do like what we just did for anybody that needs a song for any reason whether it's to celebrate something or to get somebody through hard times or just their little fantasy about uh oh nice. you know a bear that loves to drink red wine and wants to visit peru or <laughs> i never i never know what they're going to be about yeah it's so good well that's great and with zoom they could they could record the anthem and they have it 
I want to get everyone to know your social media handle and your website. But my last question is, and I'm asking everyone this, but when you're 100 years old or 90, whatever year, looking back at your life, like if you pitch yourself on the beautiful, maybe it's still at the farm, but looking back at your life, what do you think you would have thanked yourself to this point in your life already for doing, if that makes sense? So you're nine years old. What do you look at yourself and say, hey, Rudab, I'm glad you did this? I would have said, I, I'm glad you walked that trail out to that valley. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said yes to what Hawaii was inviting you to do, to transform. Oh, nice. That would be the first real massive catalyst of like how much this place on earth and the uh, ancestral line and of the way that the ancient Hawaiians practice and how they pass that down on and to my teachers that absorb that information saying yes to come and, and experiencing that. That's awesome. That'd be, that'd be a huge one. No one has yet said money on that question. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not mad at money like I used to be. No, I used to be really yeah. mad at money. And now <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. It's just like water, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's an important thing is where we talk a lot about is how do we coexist with money? Money isn't inherently evil. It's just paper. Now it's electronic. We attach like the symbolism behind it. And I think it's great. And that's why I'm so thankful for today's conversation is we can kind of distort our reality of maybe money doesn't have to hold that symbolism of stress of status and so forth. So thanks so much. I I'm very thankful that you decided to say yes to this and where can people find you? You mentioned you spelled out your, your name, but website, Instagram, so where's the best place to find you? Yeah. So I go by root hub. So R O O T H U B. I have a root hub, uh, the Insta root hub, LinkedIn root hub, you know, Facebook, I'm not on there as much. And then roothub.com, which is going under, going into a, a bit of a new construction as this path and music has really been expanding over the last several years. And yeah, roothub at gmail.com. Honestly, I love getting messages and responding to them. Anybody out there needs a song or needs this work for any reason at all. <laughs> Please reach out. I'm, <laughs> I can still hear the chorus of that song. Like, thank you for bringing me here and having me share, you know, this because that song oh. really, like, that's incredible. Like, I'm still kind of buzzing from. Yeah, I thank you. Like, you were singing, I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is the best. Thank you for taking your leap of faith and getting out of your comfort zone in that workshop and for singing in front of us. Like, it, it's mm-hmm. th- this all happened because you said yes. Yeah, that's true. So, well. Until next time, I hope to see you at another Wonderlust once we're allowed to travel or on Zoom. But thanks again. Definitely stay connected and aloha. Thank you for tuning in to the Most Hated Effort Podcast. If you're enjoying the content, please leave me a review on iTunes. I greatly appreciate it. Well, now it's time for me to get the F out of here. 